I want to ask you all to take your Bible, turn with me to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2 is a very familiar passage to us. Uh, it's one that I've preached many times over the years. And I want to look at it at perhaps in a, a little bit different light this morning. In the series of messages, Everyone, Everywhere. And I do appreciate Jeff doing such a great job of helping us with the music, tying this message into the worship and uh, as, as a reminder so that in, in music, in song, and in the scriptures we're seeing our responsibility to take the gospel to everyone everywhere. Beginning with verse 42 in Acts chapter 2, we read, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and the breaking of bread and prayers. And then fear came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Father, we pray simply that you would do it again, that you would do great and mighty things which we could never fathom in our presence today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. As Pastor Ben mentioned, uh, we want to ask the men to come back tonight as we talk about uh, the uh, Second Amendment, and um, I'm bringing a Bible study on on the, the responsibility of the man of God in the home, but tying it together some insight from this whole uh, gun control debate. But I have to be very honest uh, when it comes to uh, guns. I'm certainly not an expert. I never was a great hunter, nor was I a great fisherman, although I enjoyed fishing immensely. I enjoyed it, but my wife and my children may be wondering, well, why haven't you taken us on a lot of fishing trips? Uh, we've only been fishing a few times together. And the truth of the matter is, I love to fish. Don't take enough time to do it, but I love to fish. What I do not enjoy is cleaning fish. And so I find that when I go on a fishing trip, I spend as much time throwing back as I do catching and uh, people may look and, and say, well, you know, that's a keeper. Yeah, but somebody's got to clean it if I keep it. So we're just going to throw that one back. I, I'll be honest with you. I'm, just, I'm a fisherman. I'm just not a cleaner of <laughs> fish. And uh, I think sometimes in our attempt to fish for men, in our attempt spiritually to be fishers of men, we desire to go out and reach people with the gospel. Certainly, we are praying that the Lord would give us more courage to share our faith with others. But how many of us like to keep them and clean them? I think churches all over America today are, are trying to fish and, and bring the fish into the boat, if you will, but, but they don't want to deal with the process afterwards. I want to bring a message this morning on expecting company. What do we need to do if we're going to go and tell as we're called to go and tell, and we're going to share the gospel as we're called to share the gospel, what are we going to do with those that we bring into the boat, those that we bring into the assembly of the righteous, as Psalms chapter 1 calls it? We've got to get serious about reaching people with the gospel, everyone, everywhere. And now while I believe that I have correctly emphasized that the church is called 
not just to have a message of come and see, but to receive a message of go and tell, we have to be honest about the fact that there is a come and see message in the Scriptures. You think about Andrew telling Peter, come and meet a man that I've met. We think about the woman at the well who comes to faith in Christ and tells others, come and see this man from Galilee. Come meet a man that I've met. When we think of the fact that Jesus Himself offers the invitation, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. There is a come to me and come and see message in the Scripture. There is an invitation. In Revelation chapter 22, verse 17 we are reminded that the Holy Spirit sends out an invitation through the church. The church is called the Bride of Christ. Revelation 22.17 says, The Spirit and the Bride say, Come, and let the one who hears say, Come, and let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who wishes to take freely of the water of life, let them come. And so there is definitely a message of come and see and come and meet a Savior. Come and see Jesus in the Scripture. Now next week, I plan to emphasize the go and tell aspect. The, the invitation, if you will, to go out into the highways and the hedges and invite everyone everywhere to come be a part of the kingdom of God. To go out and invite everyone to come be a part of the fellowship of the body and the bride of Christ. But before we speak of sending out the invitation... I want us to ask this question, are we expecting company? Is our heart prepared? Are our homes prepared? Is this place where we gather together and the, the structure of the ministries in the body of Christ, are we prepared for company? Are we expecting company? Now, I love spontaneity. I love just to pop in on people when they're not expecting it. But sometimes when you do that, you can catch people off guard, and they can communicate to you in, in a hurry, I'm sorry, we were not expecting company. Didn't expect you to pop in today, don't have anything to eat, haven't prepared anything, I am so sorry. And at other times, you meet those that just, they're just kind of always expecting company. But I wonder if as a body of Christ, as a family of God, in our hearts, in our homes, and in this place that we gather together, this church campus, are we always expecting company? And if so, how do we demonstrate that we are expecting company? In Acts chapter 2, I believe that the church gives us a little bit of a pattern for what the New Testament is supposed to be about. As a matter of fact, if you will read in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and in Acts chapter 1, the descriptions of the Great Commission of what the church is to go out and be doing, in Acts chapter 2, in verses 42 through 47, you see that Great Commission being obeyed and fulfilled in the way that they were simply ready for company. And 3,000 came to know the Lord in one day. I want you to see, first and foremost, the most important thing not only logically do we find this first, but we find it as a priority as well. The most important thing, if we're going to expect company, we need the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
As a matter of fact, we could say it like this. If we're going to have company, if we're going to send out an invitation, then we need to first and foremost invite the Lord Jesus Christ to be our most honored guest. In this place, when we gather together corporately, in our homes, in our hearts, in our lives, there must be the powerful presence of God if we're truly expecting company. Jesus must be first and the most important guest. In Acts chapter 2, going back to the beginning of the passage, before this wonderful day in church took place, before this exciting gathering of the church took place, something marvelous happened, and that's that the promise that Jesus had given the disciples of the coming of the Holy Spirit, that promise was fulfilled. The Holy Spirit descended upon the church on the day of Pentecost, and God began to do signs and wonders and many miracles and powerful things right in their midst. Jesus was now present again, but in a different way. Because when he said the Holy Spirit would come, he said, I will send another of the same. In other words, I'm coming back, but it's the Spirit of God, the third person of the Trinity, the Spirit of Christ that will be with you and in you. And so God's power was at work before we ever get to verse 42. And then in verse 43 in this chapter, we see that all came upon every soul. When they came in to the gathering place of the believers, there was a certain fearfulness of God. They saw something, they experienced something of the power of God. They sensed something, I believe, deep in their heart that said, God is here. And that's got to be a number one priority for the body of Christ, for every family of God. If we want to see people come in to the house of God, to your house, to my house, and, and, and see that we were expecting company, there needs to be the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ in our hearts, in our homes, and in this place of worship. I believe they could have been singing the old song, Surely the presence of the Lord is in this place. I feel God's mighty power and His grace. I can hear the brush of angels' wings. I see glory on each face. Surely the presence of the Lord is in this place. And you may ask, Pastor, then what is the key to having the powerful presence of Jesus Christ? What is the key to having Him as our most honored guest? Well, we see two words that sandwich the rest of this text. Two words sandwich the rest of this text. Those words are prayer and praise. Prayer and praise. In verse 42, they continued in doctrine, fellowship, breaking bread, and prayers. In verse 47, they were praising God and having favor with all the people. Prayer and praise had to be the beginning and end, and everything that they were doing had to be permeated with prayers and praise. Let's look at prayer for a moment. Jesus said, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. Remember when He came into the temple and they were doing everything but helping people to be in right relationship with God? And He cleansed the temple. He explained to them, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations, and you've made it a den of thieves. It's supposed to be all about bringing people into communion with the Lord Jesus Christ. So if we're expecting company... That means as a church family. That means your family and my family and us together as the body of Christ, we need to be a people of prayer today more than ever. We need to come into this place on the Lord's Day, prayed up, believing God's going to do something. 
And so it's got to be a place of prayer. Prayer permeates every ministry and all that we do. Jeremiah 29, 13. We love verse 11 in Jeremiah 29, don't we? As a matter of fact, I signed some birthday cards this week, and, and a lot of times when I think of the plans God may have for the particular person whose birthday is coming up, I like to remind them. Jeremiah 29, 11, which says, I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. I, I love that verse. But a lot of times we put that verse there, and we leave off verse 13, which says, Seek me, and you will find me if you search for me with all your heart. With all of our heart, we've got to come seeking God. If we're expecting company, we need to be prayed up, expecting God to do something because we have walked in His presence. Acts chapter 4 and verse 31, we're reminded that they continued praying. It said when, when they had come together and they had prayed together, the place where they assembled and, and that's all the building is. The church is the body of Christ. The church is not a building. This is a place we assemble. But it says the place where they assembled was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. We must pray and invite Jesus to invade our hearts. We must pray to invite Jesus to invade our homes so it's not only this time of worship here. When you come into my home, when I come into your home, we should say, surely the presence of the Lord is in this place. Certainly this place of worship. Not only was there prayer, but there was praise. Psalm 22 and verse 3, God was enthroned. Some debate whether that word means to be enthroned in or to inhabit but it says God is enthroned in the praises of Israel. God inhabits the praises of His people. It's interesting, in John chapter 12 and verse 32, Jesus said, If I be lifted up, I'll draw all men unto me. And He was speaking there of being lifted up, not in a context so much of worship, but lifted up on the cross. But Psalm 22 and verse 3, which says He inhabits the praises of His people, becomes a messianic psalm. As a matter of fact, Psalm 22, more than any other Old Testament psalm, describes the very crucifixion of our Lord. And so as we lift Jesus up in worship, we lift high the message of the cross, and in lifting high the message of the cross, we praise Jesus just like we did this morning for what He did for us, the fact that He died for us, that He was buried, the fact that He rose again, from the grave, and when we lift Him up, when we lift high the cross, He begins to draw all men unto Himself. Worship must be gospel-centered. And in that context of prayer and praise and celebration, the church can begin to expect because the presence of Jesus Christ and the power of God falls on those situations, falls on those people in unexplainable ways. And if you and I fail at all of the other aspects, if we fail to grasp the next couple of points I want to share with you this morning, we must get this one right. See, there are a lot of things that we like to emphasize. If we're expecting company, let's face it, we want the facilities to look nice. We've been talking about some things and sharing some things with property and grounds and, and some men in the church and, and saying, you know, there's some improvements we need to make to our facilities. We're excited that we're going to be moving into toddler town. We're grateful for a kid center and a youth center and a, and a place like this where we can gather. We are so grateful for facilities. And yet we're, we're still looking at ways that we can do some things. You know, every year at 
at Vacation Bible School, we used to just build a, a, a big old set up here, and we'd get real excited about the set, and we'd say, Donnie, what you got this year for us? And, and we'd build a big, wonderful set up here. And I was always so sad to leave it up for one week and then just have to tear it down. Why did we go through all the trouble to big, build a set like that for one week? It was because we were expecting company. So we're going to have Vacation Bible School. We're expecting company, so we're going to make it look nice. We're going, we're going to receive people. And listen, when it comes to our facilities, church family, we need to look like we're expecting company. But if we fail at those things, if we, if we fail at everything else, let's never fail at praying and praising the Lord Jesus Christ so that His presence is here. Let's face it, there, there's a situation in Mark chapter 2 where, where the house was crowded. No one else could be welcomed in. As a matter of fact, it sounds like when you're reading the story, the Pharisees and the hypocrites were hogging all the good seats. The house was crowded. But four men were able to get their friend to Jesus by ripping the roof off the place and lowering him down in there. So even though the place was crowded, it wasn't so much inviting anymore, and though the place was full of hypocrites, there was still room for one more. Why? Because Jesus was in the house. And when Jesus is in the house, people will do all they can to get their friends to Jesus. So church, first and foremost, above everything else we could ever do around here, let's make the presence and the power of the Lord Jesus Christ most important by the way we pray and ask for God's presence to be at work and the way we praise Him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength in our worship. Secondly, when, when this is in place, when Jesus is our most important and first guest, then we want to make a place at the table. We've got to make a place at the table. Look back at verse 44. It says, Now all who had believed were together. They had all things in common. They sold their possessions and goods and divided among them as anyone had need. They began to, to work together. There's a unity there. They're, they're caring about each other. But it doesn't stay there. So the continuing daily with one accord, verse 46, in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. There was this there was this generosity where they were ministering to one another. They had glad hearts or, or they had generous hearts as they made a place for everybody. There was always a place at the table for somebody else. There was always a desire to bring somebody else into the fellowship. See, one of the descriptions of the New Testament Christian should be that of hospitality. We should always be some of the most warm, welcoming, most inviting people that you will ever meet. In Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 2, it says we need to learn to show hospitality because even in our spirit of hospitality, not just here on Sunday, not just in our homes, but, but in the world in which we live, in our spirit of hospitality, caring for those around us, he says some of you have entertained angels without even knowing it. Well, that's pretty cool, isn't it? Some of you have entertained angels without even knowing it. The way you stop and you minister and you leave a place at the table and an open door. Romans chapter 12 and verse 13 says, Share with the Lord's people in need and practice hospitality. See what happens when they're attracted to the love of Christ, 
that is in the body of Christ when we're caring for one another and praying for one another and encouraging one another and others say, man, that, that looks good. I'd like to be a part of that. And we say, yes, there's a place at the table for you. See, we have to be very careful as a church because what happens when we begin to, to love God and embrace the Word of God, all of a sudden we have some commonly shared values, don't we? And we like to be around people who share our values. And so in our life groups, we're around people that we have things in common with, that we have shared values. Men's ministry tonight, we be around other men. We have shared values. When we worship together with brothers and sisters in Christ, Bible-believing Christians, we have shared values. But if we're not careful in that context, we will form something I spoke with our youth about just a couple of weeks ago called cliques. And we get in our little cliques, and it's so good, and we encourage one another, and the fellowship is so sweet that if we're not careful, we'll forget about those who are outside of the clique, and we won't make a place at the table. We've got to consciously be aware of that and constantly be holding ourselves accountable to leave a chair at the table and invite somebody else to come be a part of what God is doing. As a matter of fact, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 11 makes that one of the responsibilities of, of the deacon's family there. Speaking especially to the deacon's wife, it says it must be given to hospitality. But I believe that's just, see, the word deacon has to do with servant. With all of us desiring to serve, we should have this gift of hospitality where we're inviting people to the table, making everyone feel at home. From not just the way our facilities appear inviting, but from the moment we're greeting people, from the parking lot to our Awana ministry, student ministry, life group ministry, you name it, where people are just constantly feeling like there is a place at the table for them. Remember, uh, some of you have been to Haiti before. You can answer this question. You know, in, in Haiti, you, you pack onto these little trucks they call a tap-tap. And uh, man, there's, there's people crowded on the tap-tap and there's there's goats and there's chickens and, and everybody's trying to find something to hold on to so they get, don't get thrown off of the truck or the bus. And the question that the missionaries tell jokingly from time to time is this, how many Haitians can you get on a tap-tap? Anybody remember the answer? Somebody said it, didn't they? One more. One more. Because the bus driver... We'll be glad to take your money. If you want on, you can get on. And so the answer to that is always one more. Listen, I love the idea that a church can be just electric and exciting and crowded and people can pack in. But listen, we've always got to be able to say one more. Why? Because at the foot of the cross, there's always room for one more. Jesus says there's always room for one more. Come. And so we've got to have that spirit of hospitality. Your heart, your home, this place. Always room for more not just in worship, in every small group, in all of our children's ministry, and in our student ministry, young people, teenagers, be sure you're sending a message that there's always, always, always room for one more. Do all you can to make people feel welcome. And finally, there's got to be a plan. There's got to be a plan for the meal. There's got to be a plan for the meal. used to joke about teenage guys when they started uh, dating. And uh, I said, you guys chase girls like dogs chase a car. You never... You, you never even think about what's going to happen when you get a girlfriend. What, what if you catch one? So what? See, see, listen, as a church, we have to be asking, so, so what if we reach people? What if we bring them in? What's the plan? What, what's the plan for the meal? How are we going to feed these folks? Well, Jesus has a way of 
making much out of a little, didn't he? He fed the 5,000 with two loaves, with uh, two fish and a loaf of bread. He, listen, we can make a place at the table. We've got to have a plan for the meal. Verse 42 says, they devoted themselves to what? The apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to doctrine or to the apostles' teaching. In Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 11, we're told God gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. For what? The equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry is to lead everybody to a place of spiritual maturity. The responsibility of the pastor and the teachers in the church is to feed the flock of God. This ministry, if we're expecting company, this ministry has to be a priority. In 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 2, Paul told Timothy, preach the word. Be ready in season, out of season. Listen, Timothy, whether they like it or not, you preach the word. You feed them the word of God. We've got to have a plan for the meal. So the responsibility of pastor is to feed the flock of God. In Acts chapter 6, as the apostles were still serving kind of a pastoral ministry, and, and all of the other administrative responsibilities started coming up, and the care needs started coming up. There were those that were being neglected, whose needs weren't being met. We see the uh, very inception of deacon ministry in the church because the apostles said, listen, we've got to give ourselves to prayer and to the Word of God. We've got to prepare the table. We've got to have a plan for the meal. And so the Great Commission ministry, which says, Go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to observe all those things I've commanded you. That is to be extended through the church, into the homes, and throughout the world. The goal of the apostles and pastors today was to see the believers established in the faith. And it is my conviction over the things that I hear as I go from place to place, when I interact with people who claim to be Christians, when I interact with other pastors who share the problems that they're experiencing in their churches, I am more convinced today than ever before that the church of the living God is more spiritually immature than we ever have been at any time in history. We don't know what we believe. We don't know what our priorities should be. We don't know how to stand on our convictions anymore. Everything is so watered down. There are a lot of churches that even appear to be experiencing great growth. But I hear from those who go and and, and worship at many churches where I think, man, it must be alive, it must be exciting, it must be wonderful. They come back and say, but the pastor never opened the Word of God. He never taught us the principles of, of, of the Bible. And so people, going back to my illustration from Haiti, I remember being there uh, and, and seeing these little children who were constantly eating oranges, but that was all they were getting in their diet. And their bellies were kind of swollen. They looked full, but they were empty. And they were malnourished. They felt full, they looked full, but they were malnourished. And, and I think in the church today we have so many Christians who feel full and they look full, but they are malnourished because they're not getting a steady diet of the Word of God. And so thank you, Awana workers, for keeping the Word of God before our kids. Thank you, life group teachers, for opening the Word of God on Sunday mornings and digging deep into the things of God. Thank you to those who work in kids' ministry. Thank you, Pastor Ben, for working with our students and our children and not compromising the message of the Word of God. We want to make it a standard procedure here that when 
We are expecting company when people come in that if they don't get anything else, that they receive the Word of God. There's got to be a meal plan. Tonight, we're saying bring your own steak. And that's going to be a lot of fun. But are we giving people steak and potatoes from the Word of God? Listen, this may, this may be a word God has specifically for you. Maybe He's calling you to do something. And I want to close with Hebrews chapter 5, verses 12-14. through 14. It says, For though by this time you ought to be teachers. Is that speaking of you? By, by this time you ought to be teachers. You still need someone to teach you again the elementary principles of the oracles of God. And you have become in need of milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are full of age. That is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. What the author of Hebrews was saying there are folks that don't even know right from wrong because Christians don't know their Bible and we're not teaching the Word of God to those around us. We've got to have a meal plan, a meal plan in place. If these men show up tonight, if some of these big burly teenage boys show up tonight and we say, leave your steak in the car, we've got some baby food and formula, that's what we're having tonight, they would say, you're crazy, I'm going home. And that should be the way we experience corporate worship together, when we gather together as the body of Christ, if the Word of God is not open, if all you're getting is milk toast, if all you're getting is baby food and formula, you should be saying, Pastor, teachers, give me something more. I want the deeper things of God. We need the Word of God. We need the meal plan. We not only need that, we need to make a place at the table. And finally, and first, as I said earlier, foremost, we need to make Jesus most honored guest. The power of His presence. Would you pray with me?